69. Trust and obey. Wonderful works to be remembered. 
The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given me and to them that fear him, who will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them a heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. In the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Amen. That's one of my favorite psalms. There's so much in it. It's actually an acrostic, and there's 22 half lines with each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Our next song will be number 79, To God Be the Glory.
God of great glory, the heart of your covenant with people, your last creation, is to be our God and we are your people, that we are in unity, in fellowship, in, in harmony, um, knowing you, loving you, serving you, doing your will. And that was broken, as we saw earlier, with the disobedience in the third chapter. But we thank you that redemption and reconciliation is now available in Jesus Christ. So we've gathered here this morning to celebrate that and to give you the glory that you deserve. We ask that you would move among us by your Holy Spirit, continuing your good work in us and helping us to know you, love you, and serve you better as a result of just being in your presence this morning. We ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, uh, both for the people, you may be seated, for the people that are here, as well as those that are watching us on TV, uh, I have a, a few announcements. One thing that has been communicated through the Vestry Voices is we will be funding our outreach through live streaming and Facebook through the Jack Downing Fund. And we just got two boxes of envelopes this week. And I've laid some out in both places where you might want to find them and give an offering this week. And uh, again, it's a minimal offering and we'll more than cover that. But the Downing Fund is for all kinds of outreach. And for those of you that are watching on TV, you might want to send a check once a month or once a quarter until things open up again. So that's one announcement. Another one that a lot of you might not be aware of is we're doing a survey for people interested in a Bible study, either here in the church or virtually or some combination of the both. And that will be appearing for those of you that can't make it in the Vestry Voices, which will be mailed out a week from tomorrow. And uh, I think that's uh, pretty much all that we need to uh, talk about at this time. So now, uh, if you will take your bulletin inserts, we will pray our prayer of confession together. Almighty and most merciful God, we have erred and strayed from thy way like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises, declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter 
live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And again, let us remember what John put in his first letter to the diaspora, the scattered believers throughout the Roman Empire. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And now we will continue worshiping the Lord with two more songs. Number two, Holy, Holy, Holy. And number 162, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
be Sarah Lassen. Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything to have for the Lord? And the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. She was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. This is Genesis 21, 1 through 7. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived, and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God had made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I am born him a son in his old age. This is Mark 10, 20-27. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou have, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round him, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Amen. There's a lot in that word of God, and we'll uh, dig deeper into it later. But now, take your songbooks and turn to the back to number 626, which is the Nicene Creed. And we will uh, remind ourselves of our faith and what we believe. 626. We believe in one God. The Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For 
for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophet. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And with that profession of faith, we will now go to the Lord in prayer. Three in one, God, thank you for your great, patient grace and strong, miracle-working love. You bring physical life and more importantly, spiritual life out of hard, barren hearts, giving your spirit to bring dead human spirits to life by the gift of conviction, which leads to repentance, humble recognition of our sin, and a request to you for forgiveness and eternal, abundant, and fruitful life. We admit we are imperfect, as all who fill the pages of your word are imperfect. But because of the grace you extended to all, we ask the Holy Spirit would graciously enable us to always be turning to you to receive all you have promised in the Savior. And we beg you, Please bring an end to this pandemic, because we know your will is for life and health. But we also recognize the great sinfulness of our world at this time. So we're not surprised that the virus is becoming more deadly. Therefore, we plead first that you will revive your church. And please, wherever our deeds do not match our confession of you and our profession of faithful obedience, please convict us and change us. And then please empower us to do our part as you build your kingdom from every ethnic group in the human race, all over the world. And Father, we pray 
for our president. He professes to be a man of faith in your church, and we are grateful for that. But because your church has always taught the faithful to read scripture every day, please move him to do this. No one is too busy to give you at least 10 minutes a day in your word. And then please open his eyes to the truth we heard this morning. That to you, the son of promise Isaac, existed even before he was conceived in Sarah. He was spoken of as if he was. And while we are praying about your word, may we all discover the deeper truths that you have put there. And may we act on them. And we have so many with needs in our body that we will pray for some of them by first names today. Father, please do a miracle of both healing and strength for Nancy. And give her family strength, even more strength than they realize that they have, because it will be your strength. And Father, there are many needing physical strength as well. And they need encouragement in their hearts because they have been very isolated these days. And we pray for Joe and Norma and Betty Ann. And we thank you. Thank you for giving love and peace and joy of your presence to members that are having physical problems. And please continue that and bring some healing for Allie and Christine and Cindy. Please also be with with Elon and with Doris until, until we can gather safely to worship, even if it's a distant, socially distant, safe worship. And Father, for those of us who do gather often for worship, we pray for Peter and Linda and Billy and Charlie and Ken and Sally, Debbie, Many more. Father, we pray for Kurt and um, having problems with two of his vehicles this morning. Father, we also lift up some specific names of Francine and Jim and Beth and Sari. And please, please help us to complete the work so that we can go virtual so that some people will be able to uh, worship with us even while they're prevented from doing it physically. Some of us I know can get into that. And also um, your desire and command that we have some contact with people even if it is virtual. Also as we go virtual, Perhaps, and we're praying that you may reach some people who would not intend to ever attend a worship service, that they may receive the good news of Jesus and Jesus himself. And then when times change, they may even join with his physical body here on earth. Father, we heard from both 
uh, the Old Testament, the Scriptures, and from the Gospel, that nothing is impossible with you. So we ask your Spirit to take these prayers and that your will will be done, as Paul taught in Romans 8. And now we come before you with one heart, one voice, and one mind, praying the words that Jesus left for his followers, for his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, uh, before we go to God's word, uh, we'll sing a song that I used to hear on song time all the time when I was driving to work. Number 303, It Took a Miracle.
there's a lot to think about in that song. Think about about that. Well, one of the best things about the Bible is that all of the people that we meet in its pages are real people, real people, just like us. And even the best of people in the Bible are less than perfect. Many of them were unsure of their standing with God, just like many of us are. And they were nervous in their relationships. They were doubting God's word to them when there was a delay in God fulfilling that word. They were defensive, and often, even though they were desiring to do what is good, they found that they were trapped by unhealthy desires. And this kind of sums up two of the people we heard about this morning. And those who dig deep into the Bible, into God's Word, eventually come to discover that there are no human heroes in Scripture. But the good news is that every book in the Bible points to the one true hero, the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that background, we can transition into our scriptures for this morning. We reconnect with Abraham and Sarah having skipped over the part in chapter 17 where Yahweh gave them the covenant of circumcision and Ishmael was circumcised. And then um, we remember that last week in chapter 15 when God took Abraham out and showed him all the stars, we see that Abraham's faith was grown. We saw that last week. But we heard this morning that Sarah was to the point where she had stopped hoping that she would ever have a child. She just had given up. She did not think that she would be a mother. And then we heard her laugh derisively at Yahweh's word to her husband. And I think she may have done this because I think I can relate to this. Maybe we can all relate to this. She did it to avoid further disappointment. But when she's called out for her lack of faith, she lied. She bald-faced lied. And then 2,000 years later, we encounter a rich man who had asked Jesus, what he must do to inherit eternal life. And when he heard Jesus fourfold call to him, he realized that he just couldn't do it. 
So he walked away from Jesus, realizing that this would cost him his life, his very life. Now, these people all had imperfections. Imperfections in their thinking, their attitudes, and their actions. Left to themselves, they were helpless. Totally helpless. And today, okay, this was 2,000 years ago or more. Today, though, every person alive struggles with the same kind of imperfections and issues and problems. And if not exactly the same as those enumerated here, issues and problems and inconsistencies close enough, close enough to what we've heard about in Scripture. But, but, after waiting for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah did become the parents of a son. They received the son they had been promised. And then Jesus spoke to the followers of him who were wondering if anybody could be saved. And he said, it's impossible with people, but nothing is impossible with God. God can do the impossible and save people. So let's learn from these flawed people about the great grace of God Almighty. So we'll start with the uh, Old Testament scripture in Genesis, and actually we'll start, we'll do this in two parts. We'll take the first passage, which talks about the Annunciation as God reiterates his word. So Yahweh, in these two passages together, ultimately brings the light to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Now, in chapter 18, Sarah laughed after Yahweh told Abraham she would have a son at the time of life. Now, this is translated in many ways, and we'll get to it eventually. But let's go through it step by step. Yahweh was seen by Abraham by the trees of Mamre while he was seated outside his tent in the heat of death. First of all, Mamre means strength. And I noticed I'm reading Genesis, you know, this month, and over and over again, this location of strength is mentioned. And isn't it interesting that Abraham, the man of faith, was always hanging around the place for strength. Now, this heat of the day, unlike the very vague, when we were told in Eden that Yahweh came in the breath of the day, and there's a lot of different interpretations for this, this is straightforward as straightforward can be. The word for hot is used. He came in the mid-afternoon when it was the hottest it could be. Then we're told, behold, three men, and having seen them, he bowed to the ground before them, pleading with his Lord not to pass by his servant until he could show them hospitality. Now, let me say something about these three men. 
Everything indicates they were not ordinary men. Bowing with the face to the ground is an act of worship. Two-thirds of the time, roughly, it's translated worship. And then he pleaded with a singular Lord. The word is singular among three people, men, who were before him. And then um, after Sarah's nervous laughter, which comes later in this particular passage, we're told that Yahweh speaks from among these three men. I think perhaps this may be an early foreshadowing or type of the Trinity. And then um, going on from there, uh, this paragraph begins to teach us about ancient Near Eastern hospitality because Abraham implores his visitors to stay. And he had water brought to wash their feet. And then he invites them to lean on the tree, leaning for support and strength after a long journey in the heat, while he brings bread to sustain their hearts. And then this goes on with several more verses. Abraham serves them a proper feast. You've probably heard this before, but let me reiterate. In these days, thousands of years ago, and I understand even today in the Middle East, food, fellowship, and hospitality is given the highest priority. And people who do not engage in it are in danger of shame and being ostracized. But I, I love the way this is. We're told earlier that Abraham had an army of over 300 men, and he just had a vast family, extended family. And what a delegator he is, because we're told he hurried to Sarah in the tent and asked her to make cakes from flour. Now, the word is kind of vague. It's like a disc. And I picture something like our modern pita bread. Maybe that's what... Sarah made for the visitors. And then he runs off to the herd and he asks the young servant to prepare a tender calf that he himself picked out as the prime of the herd. And then as he's scrambling around and all these things are coming together, he also brings some butter and milk and lays the whole feast down before these men. And so by doing, oh yeah, that after he laid it down, he said, you enjoy your feast, and he goes off to the side and just watches them enjoying themselves. Everything he did showed that he was a proper host and exercised the greatest of hospitality. And then they ask him where Sarah was. And he says, um, the, the, the singular one. So saying the three are asking, then the leader of them asked where she is, and then um, he gives them a word, and he says, at the time of life or revival, I will return and behold to Sarah a son. 
Now, literally, this makes no sense, but there's plenty of figures of speech in the Bible. And the time of life is the time of reviving and renewal. Plants that appear to be dead in the winter, when springtime comes, they blossom out green and full of life. So there's real appropriateness here. And he's saying the next time that this happens, Sarah will have a son. Her dead, barren body will produce life. You see, this portion of readings from Genesis and the story about Abraham and Sarah tells us that God can do the impossible and bring life from barrenness. Well, Sarah was eavesdropping, and we're told she had ceased from the way of women. Again, it's another figure of speech. We know she's 89 years old. She just couldn't conceive. She, it wasn't just she was barren. It was not within her body to have a child. And so um, she laughs mockingly. And I looked this word up, and it's not just a little bit of laughter and a great sense of humor, like, come on, this can't happen. You know, that, that kind of sad, mocking laugh. And she says, shall we have pleasure when we are worn out? And again, we lose something in scripture by having proper names and not knowing what they mean. The word here is, shall we have Eden? When we're old, Eden means pleasure. God put the first two people in a place of pleasure. Shall we have this pleasure? So what she has here is a very human reaction. Let's understand that. It's a defense mechanism. It's a natural defense mechanism. After a lifetime of disappointment, it is very hard to believe even a guaranteed word from Yahweh. She just couldn't believe it. And when our deepest desire is to have something and we don't have it, and we have that promise reiterated, we're afraid to believe because we don't want to get hurt again. This is what it means to be human. Now, uh, we're told that Yahweh himself now speaks to Abraham asking him, is anything too wonderful to receive from him? And then he repeats his word to them. And it's a shame that only half of the translations translate this word correctly. Some 40 times in scripture, this word wonderful is used. It's always used of God and what God does. I'm just going to give you three examples from Scripture. One is what Yahweh did at the Red Sea, which is the Old Testament cross, in order to part the waters so his people could go safely through, but their enemies drowned. That was described as a wonderful work of God. And then later in the prophet Isaiah, there's a chapter where God talks about on the mountain in Jerusalem, death shall be destroyed 
and resurrection will happen and people will live forever. And it's introduced by Yahweh will do this wonder on this mountain. And then bringing it forward almost until the days of Jesus. In Zechariah, there's an extended prophecy given of the wonderful works that God will do for that remnant that returned from their exile in Babylon. And if you get a good concordance, you can go on and on. You'll find more and more and more. So I think what we can learn from this, taking into account the whole story and what will come in the next chapter, and seeing Sarah's initial reaction. People, let us be honest about our insecurities because we can then receive the wonders of Yahweh who brings good things out of their circumstances. God can bring life from barrenness. Going on, Sarah denies her doubtful laughter, but Yahweh, God, calls her on. But let us not be too harsh towards Sarah. How many times have we denied our sinful attitudes and actions before God? but also knowing full well we're not fooling him. We can't deceive him, but sometimes we just try. That's what it means to be human. Now if we go to uh, Genesis 21 in the fulfillment, after Sarah bore a son for her centenarian husband, she says, God has made me to laugh. And now she means real after. So we're told Yahweh visited Sarah and did to her ass. He has spoken. And there's a lot of telescoping in the Bible. She conceived and bore a son. Nine months in one sentence to Abraham at the time that God had spoken about. What he had spoken. You see, this is the wonderful thing about Scripture. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the original languages, the very same word means both the word that is spoken or the deed itself. And with God, there's no difference. What he says, he will do, and he does what he has said. Uh, sometimes we may have to wait a while because it will come according to his perfect plan, not according to our time frame. So if we are feeling dry and we become tired of waiting for God to fulfill a promise he's given to us in scripture by his Holy Spirit, we must keep reminding ourselves that God brings wonderful life from what seems barren. And this finally happened to Abraham and Sarah. And at this point, Sarah now knows that God can bring life 
from barrenness. And this is just like a miracle. 90 years old, think about it. And then Abraham called the name of his son, born to him with an eonic, born to him um, by Sarah, Isaac, or laughter. Now, technically, Yitzhak means he will laugh. But all the translators just said laughter. Now, Isaac, I mean, Abraham, I'm sorry, I'm sure he recalled the encounter that he and his wife had with those three men the previous year and the fact that Sarah had derisive, self-preserving laughter. But now that Yahweh's good word has indeed been fulfilled, they have genuine laughter. And then we're told at the age 100, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac on the eighth day as Yahweh had previously commanded him. Again, we skipped over chapter 17 where the covenant of circumcision was given. And to this day, Jews still circumcised their sons on the eighth day because it was so important. And there were three aspects to this covenant. The first was Abraham would be the father of many nations. The second was what I prayed about, this relationship. The heart of the covenant of God and people is an intimate relationship. He will be our God and we will be his people. And then he would give to him through his descendants the land in which he was living. But let us not miss this delay, people. Because I, I don't know about you. I don't know all of your life stories. But I know sometimes in my past 41 years of walking with the Lord, I was sure he had promised me something in prayer through his word. And it didn't come as quick as I wanted it to come. I think I can honestly tell you I've never waited 25 years. But Abraham had to wait 25 years. He was 75 years old when Yahweh gave him that sevenfold word where he said that through your seed all the nations on earth will be blessed. That meant a physical descendant of Abraham would bless the whole world. Well, 25 years or 24 years had passed and he still had no son by Sarah. It didn't happen for 25 years. Imagine what it must have been like to wait all that time. And then Sarah said, God made me to laugh and all hearing will laugh for me. Who could have known that Sarah would nurse children, but I have borne a son in my old age. And she said, I am now nursing him. What a testimony to the miracle working wonder of the three in one God, a barren woman who was no longer in the way of women, doubly impossible, to have a child gives birth to a son. 
at the age of 90, God can bring life from barrenness. And now let's go forward to the gospel passage which we heard. And the bottom line here is Jesus declares salvation from men is impossible. But all is possible with God. Now we picked up this story a little bit in the middle. But Jesus told his disciples, and he blew their mind, it's hard for those having riches to enter God's kingdom. So a man had come to Jesus and asked him about inheriting eternal life, and he called him teacher, great one, rabbi. And he asked what he had to do to obtain eternal life. What must I do? And Jesus had told him six things that he had to do. And he says, I've been doing these commandments from the time I was a little boy, from my youth. I've done all this. Now, if you were to examine those a few verses before where we picked up this story, the commandments that Jesus gave him do not include worshiping other gods, having idols, or coveting riches. He excluded those. But nonetheless, even though this man was fooling himself and said, I'm doing all God wants me to do, Jesus still loved him. But now we got to the heart of the matter. Jesus was always like that. Sometimes he would, you know, lay out a nice, meaty, slow pitch down the middle before he drops the curveball. And he loved them, but he said, you lack one thing. Go, sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor, and you'll have great treasure in heaven. And then fourthly, coming, follow me. So it was actually a fourfold call, four steps to the one thing. First, this man had to respond by going. It wasn't just having an attitude, some thought in your mind, something in your heart. He had to go and do something. Next, he needed to repent by selling his possessions. Third, he needed to have the faith to give away the proceeds of that sale to the poor in return for a future reward. So do something, repent, have faith, and finally, fourth, he had to follow Jesus in order to become like him, sanctification. These are the same four steps we all need to take. We need to act on who Jesus is, Repent from our lives, have faith, and follow him. But after becoming sad at this word, he went away, having been grieved, because he was having many possessions. Sadly, his possessions possessed him. So he walked away from eternal life, depressed because he could not bring himself to let go of them. So he was breaking the commandment about idolatry. 
His possessions were in abundance. And then after looking around, Jesus was saying to his disciples, how much with difficulty those having riches will enter into the kingdom of God. So this is just God and mammon. It's over and over again in scripture, especially in the gospel. Wealth and riches of this world are one of the biggest items that keep people from experiencing all the blessings God desires to give to his children, citizens in his kingdom. But again, just like with Sarah, it's maybe too easy to get down on this man. But may we examine ourselves to know whether uh, we are loyal either to God or to man. And I don't think it's 100% either way. I think we kind of vacillate between the two. So may we pray and be willing to let go of mammon in order to give ourselves fully to God. So after Jesus did this, we're told the disciples were astonished and amazed at his words. The disciples were astonished by his words. That's the first sentence. You see, Jesus is being radical. It's so contrary to what they thought. In fact, the Daily Bread this morning had an article on this very passage. And it said people in those days thought one of the ways they could know if somebody was righteous with God is God would bless them materially. And Jesus is saying with this, you're wrong. You're just plain wrong. But they were amazed and fearful at this teaching of Jesus. But after he repeated his answer, he spoke of how difficult it is to enter the kingdom. He says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, the eye of a needle, than for rich people to enter into the kingdom of God. Now again, in the Daily Bread this week, the two-page Daily Bread, where a Bible teacher will give an exposition of a passage to go into greater depth. You may have heard these. There are two wrong interpretations of what Jesus was saying here. We must never dampen the radicalness. Some people say, oh, what he was talking about was many city gates were kind of low, and a fully loaded camel couldn't get through it. So you had to take all of the load off of the back of a camel, and then it could get through. So all you have to do is lay all your burdens on Jesus, and you can be saved. Or the other one is, oh, the, the word, the Aramaic word for camel is kind of like a rope, you know, and so Maybe with a small enough rope and a big enough eye, you can be saved. But what's wrong with those? And Jesus will address it. You've already heard it. That's intimating that we can do something to save ourselves. And Jesus is saying, no, this is impossible. I need a literal camel. Okay? Maybe even with two humps. And if you want to save yourself, in spite of your possessions, 
Can you get through the eye of a little sewing needle? This is what he's really saying. Let's not reduce this extreme teaching. And they got it, the twelve, because it says now they were exceedingly amazed, saying to themselves, who then is able to be saved? And again, this is a human reaction, all too human. It's a question. You see, we want to earn our salvation. But then having looked at them, looking right in their faces, Jesus says this, from men it is impossible, but not from God. All things are possible from God. And what's he talking about here? God's all-powerful grace. Grace. The grace of God towards people. Given in Jesus is powerful enough to save any sinner who turns from himself and his own efforts, like trying to go through the eye of the needle, and comes to the one God in humble, obedient faith. This is who may be saved. So bottom line of all we've heard this morning, both from uh, the Torah and from the Gospels, may we realize and repent of our imperfections that keep us from being right with God. But may we also be willing to lay down all of our own efforts, all of our own things, who we are, what we think is important, to just faithfully obey God and Jesus Christ. And then because of the great power and the love of God, we will receive his promises, his salvation, and his life of joy as a gift by faith all because of God's amazing grace. And then we will experience the truth of our gospel passage. God does the impossible to save people by his amazing grace. So let's sum up the human aspect of this. In spite of Sarah's defensive doubts about Yahweh's ability to give her a child when she's 90 years old, she did conceive and give Abraham a son when he was a hundred years old. And they named him Laughing because God made her laugh at her failure of faith the previous year. And as a man possessed by his riches walked away from life in Jesus, Jesus declared to his disciples that while it's impossible for men to save themselves, all things are possible with God, including salvation by grace through faith. God can bring life, even eternal life, from barrenness. To God be the glory. Amen. And now let's sing for our final song, a plea, which I think is appropriate, number 82, Come Thou Found of every blessing. <laughs>
word this morning comes from the opening of the second letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the diaspora of the faithful. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us precious, his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you all might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And this was one of the tenets of the Greek Orthodox Church, that we can be restored to the image of God and be molded into his nature by faith, by grace, because of the work of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, the empty tomb, his ascension, Pentecost, and as he rules his kingdom on earth, not from heaven. Amen. <clears throat>